<laughs> Still working on the thing, yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tripping While Walking. This is the second episode of a casual monologue that recognizes and evaluates new trends that have caused a traditional walking pattern or path of the consumer and retail industry to trip. Again, a little blip or stumble that makes the big and small players in the industry critically think about their business model and helps to recognize what upcoming companies might have a strong positioning to fit well in these growing trends. In today's episode, we will be talking about how customer data has been a major driver for disruption and how companies think about personalization and connecting with the customers. We will also tie this into the future of logistics and business models that embrace AI to augment its operations and optimize supply chains, packaging, consumer interactions, etc. So, of course, the first and foremost thing to do is to give a roadmap of how the next 20 or so minutes are going to go. First, we're going to talk about the subtle incorporation of the fourth industrial revolution in consumer and retail today. Then, of course, a case study on a company that has successfully adopted this model of humans and AI incorporation. 20 bonus points if you can guess what company this might be. A quick hint starts with a st and ends with a ix. <laughs> From here, we'll talk about how companies today are taking the leap towards personalization and integrating it fully with its business model not just as a first step to connecting users with a brand, but rather making the personalization aspect just as important as the actual product. For this analysis, we will talk about two emerging companies, Hawthorne and Mira Beauty. Then we'll look at a very nascent platform of shopping and talk about the potential market this new platform could create or cater to. Lastly, we'll delve deep into some of the challenges and barriers to AI adoption in retail. This understanding will help frame the use of AI in retail so we can see why it's great for those who have been able to adopt it, but then also understand why others have had some issues or have not really been able to. As always, thanks so much for listening, and I hope you guys enjoy. So, starting at the proverbial go, the subtle incorporation of the fourth industrial revolution. As some of you may know, this was actually my senior year thesis topic in college. Not exactly related to the consumer and retail industry, but just more of the rise in automation and what that meant for shifting standards of human value and our societal structure. The thesis was focused on how the automation revolution is inevitable. However, technology does not have to be the destiny. The impact of the rise in automation depends on how the technology is adopted by individuals, a human-centric approach from employers, and policy response to inherent shifts in societal structures and economic systems. I had an absolute blast writing this 65-page research paper because I got the resources and really just an excuse to delve deep into the, the different sectors that automation is impacting and examples of companies that have adopted machine learning and AI well to bolster its other operations, but also look into companies that lacked direction with its incorporation and thus have let AI take over the quintessential human element of its business. Okay, enough about my thesis. I could talk about it for days on end and honestly, happy to. But we've got a lot to cover, so quick shameless plug, if anyone's interested in reading the full thing, it can be found on the Texas ScholarWorks Library. So, moving forward, how does this rise in AI, machine learning, and data, what does that mean for the consumer and retail industry? 
Well, it's a new wave of companies being able to curate its products and interactions to each customer. And no better way to understand this than by looking at a case study. So, who guessed the company earlier? I can't hear you. <laughs> well, yep, 20 points for you. Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personally styling company that has adopted technology and automation to elevate its clothing recommendations based on style, size, and budget. The company was founded in 2011 by Katrina Lake and IPO'd in 2017 with a $1.6 billion valuation. Stitch Fix gathers data on the core elements of what a customer considers stylish and then breaks it down through an algorithmic lens. It has grown from a startup to a multi-billion dollar company through, one, data-driven personalization and AI machine learning systems bolstering the human decisions, and two, an understanding of customer psychology. So on the first point, the data-driven personalization is woven into actual product curation and the decision of which five articles to include in the clothing boxes that are delivered to the customer. So let's break down the process. First, a customer fills out an extensive survey that includes questions about their style choices, size, budget, color preferences, etc. And some of these questions include pictures of different outfits and asks the customer to rate which fit they like the best or which would match their style or fit best in their closet. Then, these answers are fed through the Stitch Fix recommendations engine in a series of styling algorithms that help to pick the items based on the customer's preferences. But it doesn't just stop here. Stitch Fix then takes these algorithmic recommendations one step further and has the final step be a human stylist that makes the decision of which five items to actually be included in the box that gets delivered. This is an excellent example of a humans-in-the-loop approach to machine algorithms, so that humans can be the final gatekeeper and also interpret the machine outputs and data and incorporate the nuances of human decision-making into the recommendations to make it even more accurate. The second unique aspect of Stitch Fix's success is its understanding of customer psychology. Per Goodwater Capital, Stitch Fix has a 65% first month retention rate, which is very high compared to its peers such as Trunk Club and Guilt Group, which have about 45% and 15% respectively. The business model of Stitch Fix is also very smart. It makes a definite and assumed base profit off of each box through a set $20 styling fee per box. The customer just pays this $20 upfront fee to get the five items and then decides what he or she wants to keep. And even if the customer decides that he or she doesn't like any of the products and returns them all, Stitch Fix still gets the $20. But if the customer does like any of the products, this $20 is actually credited towards the price of the actual items that they choose to keep. This actually incentivizes the customers to keep at least one of the items. And it's a very good strategic business model setup that plays into the psychology of shoppers. Customers are forced to decide in the moment if they like the recommendation and either go through the hassle of returning the items that they don't like, or if they don't do anything, pay the full price of all the items that were shipped to them. Thus, they're encouraged to take their time in deciding their style and help the algorithm help them curate their closet. There's also this element of data lock-in, which we're also seeing across different companies. The more customers give to Stitch Fix's algorithm, the more accurate 
the recommendations continue to be. So it honestly behooves the customer to get a more involved with the company and iterate on what the company sends to them and what the customer decides to keep or send back. And also B, it keeps the customers committed to Stitch Fix because the company already has its data. If the customer wanted to switch to another platform uh, that had a similar product offering, then it would have to. They these customers would have to start from square one and build up to the same understanding that Stitch Fix already has on what that customer likes or wants. Stitch Fix has successfully shown that human decisions can be augmented by AI, and ultimately, technology can be used to free up human focus and intellect to focus on the other aspects of decision making and focus on helping the customer rather than the more streamlined and replicable parts, rep, rep, <laughs> replicable parts of the product and company that AI and technology can help alleviate. fourth industrial revolution in action, we can now travel over to our next stop of seeing a new trend of DTC companies incorporating the technology and personalization aspect to be just as important as the actual product. Stitch Fix was a great example to see how quizzes were used in simple clothing shopping, but DTC skincare and beauty companies are also embracing this new trend to make shopping more simple and cater to very specific demographics and specific needs of online shoppers. One major theme of these companies incorporating personalization is that they are creating accessibility to their products. Accessibility doesn't always mean just in terms of pricing, but even just education. With a plethora of information and new DTC companies popping up every few days, a big barrier for customers is parsing through all these products and finding what best fits them. That includes price fit, ingredient fit, skin type, fragrance preference, etc. Companies that are able to weave in their technology and algorithmic personalization into its actual product offering also make their products more accessible to customers because they're enabling their users to make informed purchasing decisions. We'll start with Hawthorne. <laughs> if you're my friend and are listening to this, then the name Hawthorne will be very familiar because I talk about them all the time. Hawthorne is a men's personal care brand that offers a full personalized bathroom set, including deodorant, soap, body wash, shampoo, and conditioner. Through a diverse set of questions, including personality and usage habits, Hawthorne provides men with personalized, high-quality luxury products through a very simple and convenient platform that strips away the complexity and layers of choosing the right skincare, and instead gives men personalized kits with a purchase option of just one click. This company was founded in 2016, and Hawthorne started by using biometric tailoring and personal taste to curate bespoke fragrances for customers. After significant success, it started to build on its initial customer base and has now evolved to include other products, showcasing a proven and strong brand and also strong future growth potential. Through a comprehensive algorithm, Hawthorne recommends an entire bathroom set based on body chemistry, skin type, and lifestyle to elevate and simplify men's grooming. 
a holistic approach to customer data and customization, and it creates a strong brand following and customer connection. So, for example, let's say a customer selects that he is usually hot and sweats a lot. Then Hawthorne not only recommends certain products, but also has usage instructions. So Hawthorne recommend a lighter scent or maybe fewer sprays because fragrance molecules move quicker when your body temperature is high, which naturally would just result in a stronger scent. Hawthorne also invests in best quality ingredients, formulas, and strategic partnerships to reliably offer luxury-grade products to a new generation of men. Hawthorne partners with world-class perfumers and labs and the makers behind luxury brands like Drybar and Tom Ford to help curate these niche fragrances and skincare lines. Hawthorne has done a great job of branding itself and capturing a very focused subsect of male shoppers by offering accessible, high-quality grooming products in a very simple and accurate fashion. In 2019, Hawthorne actually raised $8 million in Series A funding from Comcast Ventures and Imaginary Ventures. It will be very interesting to kind of see how Hawthorne strategically uses this money. And I don't know, I guess if I could talk to Comcast, I'd be very curious to see how they viewed this investment and Hawthorne's growth compared to their other successful portfolio companies like Dollar Shave Club. So we've seen how companies are able to use data to personalize and cater their actual product offerings to consumers. But what about using data to elevate the overall consumer shopping experience? I'm talking a search engine. I'm talking a brand agnostic way to feel like you're shopping with an objective friend who will tell you what would work with your skin type and what wouldn't. I'm talking a way to have your personalized recommendations be across brands and allow you to make the most informed decision. I'm talking Mira Beauty. Mira Beauty is a global store and collaborative library for brand agnostic makeup and skincare products. It is a beauty search engine that uses a question and answer process to give product recommendations to individual consumers. Subsequently, the company then synthesizes relevant product reviews industry knowledge and expertise related to their products, and community discussions into a single personalized shopping platform. So Mirror Beauty actually adds value to the customer's experience because it has created a vertical approach to beauty shopping, which aligns with what we talked about in our last episode about the increasing consumer desire for transparency and simplicity. And after providing product recommendations based on this comprehensive Q&A process, Mirror Beauty also provides full details on the product, including the actual brand and company's values, product ingredients, ratings and rating categories, and purchase options in a very digestible format. Mira also facilitates deliberate and knowledgeable decision-making through a side-by-side comparison feature. I've tried it. It's actually really cool. It allows the customers to toggle between various companies' products and see on one page the different details and ratings and prices and ingredients of these different products and be able to compare them. But what's especially great about this platform is that it's set up to provide a very unique, real shopping experience. It combines this e-commerce marketplace with a social platform, which allows beauty companies and consumers to interact with other similar customers and feel like they're browsing with friends rather than being sold to by sales associates. 
Because Mirror Beauty is brand agnostic, people of similar skin types or tones or personal needs can collaborate, rate, and review these products through an unbiased and authentic manner. So, we've seen how data has driven disruption in multiple different areas of consumer retail, from clothes shopping to skincare to even a channel to find other products. So, now I'm sure we're all thinking, what's next? Well, <laughs> the great thing about tech is that it's never really ending, and the great thing about consumer products is that it's never really going anywhere. It's constantly developing and adapting in accordance to new trends, social climates, and consumer sentiment. So, as promised, the next stop is looking at a very nascent platform of shopping and speculating that maybe this could be the next wave of shopping. So, what is this new platform? Mm, I'd call it text a number to get something. Creative, I know. But with all these new products now available at a customer's fingertips, it's becoming increasingly necessary for online marketplaces to distinguish themselves in how they present their products. I would say that maybe a new wave of text-driven consumer shopping could be a, a novel and innovative way to do so, because it really use, utilizes the most direct channel to connect with customers, <laughs> their cell phone. The concept is simple. Consumers text a phone number to express interest in buying products. The robot or person behind the phone number then texts the consumers links to exclusive new products, such as articles of clothing. It's a seemingly backwards way of shopping, and instead of the traditional demand first model, the supplier is actually the one that texts the consumer when something is available. Even more exciting is this text message platform requests and utilizes customer feedback so that it can then tell its suppliers what is resonating with the market. This gives these suppliers dynamic data capabilities not available in the traditional retail space. So, Text-driven consumer shopping is an interesting market because it combines customer engagement with education, discovery, and even purchasing through a very direct channel. Big-name retailers, as we know, have already started to pave the way for this SMS engagement channel through mass advertising texts. I'm sure we've all gotten the spam promotions or buy two, get one free deals through your text messages. But text-driven shopping takes this market one step further by A, pushing forward things that you actually wanted to see, and B, also including a direct purchasing link and catering to these shoppers that are looking for unique products. It'll be interesting to see how this sub-industry expands, because maybe it could even evolve into a subscription clothing model like Stitch Fix. So you might be thinking, what kind of company really fits into this really odd platform of buying clothes? Well, there's actually this new company coming up called Stevens Head, which actually the products are more streetwear and I guess the, what the cool kids wear. But it's interesting because if you are, I guess, cool enough to find out what the phone number is and you text Stevens Head your size and style preference, then you, they decide whether you're cool enough to be on the list. So you, I think you have to send in like your Twitter feed or you have to give your Instagram or your social media so that they can decide whether you'd be a good fit for their product. Um, and this is actually really cool because now that I think about it, also kind of blends into last episode's topic where we talked about wanting the fe feeling of inclusivity, but in a very exclusive industry. So Stephen's head is kind of like the gatekeeper that decides if you are worthy or not of 
their clothing. And if you are, then they'll text you when something's available and you say yes or no. And if it's a resounding yes, you get to buy it through the link. And it's a very first come, first come, first come, first serve basis because it's the supply isn't just mass produced. It's stylized and individually curated. So you know what you're getting is quality products or something unique that can't just be found at Nordstrom Rack. So I guess now that we've talked about these great examples of companies adopting AI and leveraging data to elevate their exposure to consumers and the consumer shopping experience, a logical next question might be, why aren't all companies adopting technology and AI? Well, good question, and a question that many have tried to solve. Let's talk about some of the challenges and barriers to AI adoption in retail. Per a 2019 IDC perspective report, Although AI solutions are on the rise, adoption in the consumer and retail market is in its very early stages. 60% of retailers are not yet pursuing AI solutions, which lags severely behind other industries. And that's mainly because there are two overarching challenges. One, culture, and two, data certainty. So for the first challenge of culture, Depending on the management and stage of the company in question, there is generally significant lack of understanding or inhibition towards transitioning from the old, tried and tested model to a more automated and tech-driven model. There is generally a perception that the less a solution disrupts the current processes, the better. And that is simply just not what the AI revolution aims to do. It wants to disrupt. But people get afraid that AI might take away their jobs or make their functions obsolete. However, if AI is adopted properly, it will allow these employees to use their discerning and analytical skills elsewhere instead of for the more mundane job functions. With this also comes the issue of skilled personnel, which the IDC report talks about as well. It's hard to tell if there's a lack of AI talent in the retail space and that's why there's slow adoption or if because of the late adoption, it's attracting fewer AI skilled talent, a chicken in the egg kind of situation. But in any case, this does place a significant hurdle on adoption because one factor that could help mitigate the internal inhibition to tech adoption is someone skilled telling employees and convincing managers and assuring managers that the tech is here to help. The second major barrier is data certainty. Retailers hear anecdotes and theories of how tech adoption could help companies and employees, but when it comes to quantitative proof, it becomes a little murkier. If a retailer is really going to make that leap, then they want to fully understand the incremental and tangible value to AI adoption versus non-adoption. But the thing is that tech adoption is going to look vastly different from organization to organization. It's not just about applying a blanket approach of AI and hoping that it generates additional revenue or customer stickiness. It's about critically thinking about your current processes and seeing at which points can you implement tech to help what is currently processing and your current employees. So it is fair to be skeptical about the data, but there's also an, this need for d data and just certainty should be handled with a grain of salt. So, to bring this program to a close, a quick recap. In today's episode, we took you on a journey through data. We talked about the fourth industrial revolution and how, with a deliberate human-centric approach, 
This AI adoption can actually help companies collect valuable data and leverage it to feed back into creating a better company. Then we apply this understanding to three companies that cover a broad spectrum of consumer markets, including clothing, Stitch Fix, grooming and skincare, Hawthorne, and search engines replacing a day at the mall, Mira Beauty. We then took a big leap and talked about a new potential market of text to get something and what that might look like going forward. Finally, we finished off with thinking about some of the challenges to AI adoption and what they might be, which will be helpful when thinking about traditional consumer and retail companies we know today and speculating on what their futures might look like. But I want to finish off this episode in a fairly poetic manner with a little bit of Keynesian theory. In the year 1930, economist John Maynard Keynes wrote an essay titled Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. His argument was that over a period of about a hundred years, machines and technology would transform our world to where people would work 15-hour work weeks. He predicted that as productivity improved and laborers were able to get more done in a shorter period of time, people would choose to work less. The prerequisite to America's freedom from its own societal burdens was the satisfaction of basic needs. Throughout history, the biggest problem has been the struggle to fulfill these basic needs, which Keynes called the economic problem. He believed that the integration and development of technology would ease the burden of basic necessities, and that after these standards were met, society would evolve to focus on alternate activities. However, he failed to account for the possible shift in what was deemed as a basic necessity. The most basic example to exhibit this transition is with the amenities of running water, electricity, phone service, etc. During the times of his writing, these amenities were considered luxuries. Now these same utilities are considered absolute basic necessities, with the addition of other unpredictable amenities such as internet access and healthcare. Of course, it is clear that these advancements have been incredibly important in the heightened standard of living and can be used to showcase the success of the human race's development. But what if this heightened standard of living prevented society from reaching Keynesian's, quote, utopia? As this minimal standard for achieving basic utility increases, so does the requirements for individual economic progress. With the increased baseline comes increased life expectancy and thus increased wealth requirements to sustain the baseline utilities over an extended period of time. Ultimately, in economics, believe that if people's absolute needs were satiated, then the economic problem would be resolved. However, if the very definition and standard of an absolute need is ever-growing in accordance with a, a developing society, then this satiation is nearly impossible. So, this trend will be interesting to watch and see if technology will continue to evolve with societal traditional standards of doing things, or if at some point in time, plateau. That prediction is out of my pay grade, but definitely something I'll be on the lookout for. Anyways, that's all I've got for you folks today, and I really do appreciate you taking the time. Goodbye for now, and see you next time on Tripping While Walking.